0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our study this morning. Do not lose heart, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us stewardship over our hearts, that you encourage us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We seek you right now and ask that you would provide encouragement, especially for those uh, that are discouraged. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us through the power of your word, and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. The real battle that we face in the Christian life is over our hearts, especially in this area of discouragement. It's easy for us to be going through life and and going through the motions and maybe even being faithful outwardly, but inwardly, we have completely lost heart. In this section, the Apostle Paul, he says we do not lose heart, and he gives us his reasons why. We're going to be looking at two primary reasons why we don't lose heart, and the first is because we've received the ministry of reconciliation, and we'll talk about that in a moment, the the ministry of reflection. We've received the, the ministry of reflection, and then secondly, because we've received the treasure of Christ, that Christ lives inside of our hearts, Church, I think this is a really timely message for us uh, this week. Because election day is Tuesday. And as we look at the elections, we don't know how they're going to turn out. And it could cause you to lose heart one way or, or the other. And we have the opportunity to continue to have an encouraged heart no matter what the state of the elections are. No matter how that turns out. It looks like there are going to be more restrictions for El Paso County when it comes to the COVID virus, which I think are going to be more difficult this time around because we've gone through it in April, and now we're going through it again, and it's going to be very easy for discouragement to sink in into our hearts and our lives. So we're going to have a lot of opportunity even this week to live out these truths of of not allowing ourselves to lose heart. But I'm sure that some of you this morning... As much as you are concerned about the election and you are concerned genuinely about the COVID virus, there's some challenges that are much more personal. There's some weights that you're holding on to, some difficulties, some broken relationships, some some health challenges. And for some, you're really at that moment where you're fighting to try to have a heart that is encouraged. And I hope this morning that these truths minister to our hearts, that they move us to a place of Encouragement from discouragement. In verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. Therefore, takes us to the prior statement, the prior paragraph, where Paul encouraged us. Moses, he beheld the glory of God and he reflected the glory of God, but it was temporary. The mo glow that we talked about, it faded. So he put a veil over his his face but we have the opportunity to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ unveiled. This is our ministry. To behold God's glory, to reflect God's glory, because of this ministry that we've received, we do not lose heart. So that's where we camp first this morning, is that we've received the ministry of reflection, number one. We don't have to try to conjure up something in and of ourselves, but we simply get to look at and behold the glory of God. As we look at and we behold the glory of God, then we're transformed, we're changed, and we get to reflect God's glory to others. Just like the moon, the moon has no light of its own, and we don't generate the light. We simply look at God's glory and reflect that. Notice as we go through our text today that these two words, we have... We have this this ministry. So we've received mercy, we don't lose heart. This is something that God has given to us and granted to us. I was thinking about it this way. When you think of reflection, you think of a mirror, don't you? And for a mirror to be a good reflection, hopefully it's not dirty. If you were looking at a mirror maybe that was caked with mud and it was scratched and it it was banged up, It's not going to provide a good reflection. So immediately I I started to think, man, I I need to clean myself up. (laughs) I I need to get rid of this mud, this this, this sin in my life to be able to reflect the, the glory of God. But then I was thinking a little bit more, do I even really have the capacity to be able to do that? Apart from Christ, could I clean myself up to behold the glory of God? No way. So the amazing thing about the mercy that we've received, the grace that we've received, the gospel, is that Christ has removed our sin. He has taken us and he's cleansed us. He's forgiven us. He's restored us to the point where we even have the capacity to be able to reflect the glory of God. Before we were believers, we reflected God's glory in the sense that we were created in his image. Everyone's created in the image of God. But this special ability to reflect who Jesus is and reflect the gospel, we didn't have that capacity until we've received this mercy. God has cleansed us. It's not like we've got to try this morning to cleanse ourselves. He has cleansed us. He has forgiven us of our sins. He has restored us, healed us, to now we can reflect the the glory of God. No matter what happens this week, or the rest of this year, or the next 10 years, no one can take from you this ministry of beholding God's glory. No election results can take from you beholding God's glory. No loss of jobs, no no broken relationships. Paul went through tremendous amount of suffering and difficulty in his life, and he's sharing his heart. He's sharing autobiographical statements of saying, We. This is how we do not lose heart. Paul woke up every day and he knew, I have the opportunity to behold God's glory. I've got the opportunity to reflect God's glory. So we want to put ourselves in the position of beholding God's glory, of being in the awe of God. When we sing to the Lord, we're beholding his beauty and his majesty. Think about the people that you have sung to in the course of your life. I'm talking like one-on-one, you sing to them. For me, it's a really short list. (laughs) My wife and my four kids, I mess around with the guitar. I'm a hack at the guitar. I'm even worse at singing, right? And my wife and my kids have been gracious to me over the years at different times where I would sing to them. When my kids were little and they're taking a bath and you at that age where you need to watch them while they're taking a bath, I'd get out my guitar and play my guitar and sing to them, write little songs for them, right? When I proposed to Amber, I, I wrote her a song. And somehow she still said yes. Right? <laughs> but there's something special to sing to someone. And it's special when we sing to God, right? God encourages us, he exhorts us, he commands us to, to sing to the Lord you've probably noticed that something happens in your soul when you sing to the Lord. When you genuinely think about the words that you're singing and these are being declared to my Father that I love, something happens in here because you're beholding the glory of God in worship. We behold the the glory of God in reading the Word. Remember last week with Moses and Moses asked to see the glory of God? God revealed his character to Moses. Moses. His glory was revealed in His character. And as we read the Word of God, we understand His character. And understanding His character, we then come into the deeper knowledge of God. So if I want to have this ministry of reflection alive and well in my life, I want to be holding God's glory through the Word of God. In prayer, we're beholding God's glory. As we're spending time with Him, this promise that God gives to us, if we draw near to God, that he'll draw near to to us. As we spend time with one another as believers, God's glory is being revealed to us. God speaks to us through the body, through brothers and and sisters in Christ, so we want to put ourselves in a place where we're beholding God's glory. And as we behold God's glory, we get to reflect God's glory, and that encourages us. That causes us to not lose heart. In verse 2, "...but we've renounced the hidden things of shame." Remember, Paul's being criticized by the church of Corinth. His leadership is being scrutinized. And he says, I want you to know that I've renounced the hidden things of shame. Again, those two words, we have. Renounced is a formal given notice. Paul has formally given notice to his formal life. The hidden things of shame. Sinful things are often shameful things that we want to hide. We don't want anyone to see. We don't want anyone to know. And Paul says, I've renounced those hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul is not one where he's using trickery. He's walking in integrity, especially when it comes to handling the word of God. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. As Paul was serving, he wanted there to be the manifestation of the truth. And we can serve in the same way, where we speak God's truth in love to people, where it's a declaration of the Word of God. We don't need to dress up the Word of God, we don't need to apologize for the Word of God. I hope you don't feel like you ever have to try to apologize for the Word of God. We simply want to give the Word of God in the way that it's stated. The way that God intended. We don't want to get in the way of God's word. And as we do that, then there's a manifestation of truth and how we need that declaration of truth today. And we're all voices of truth and sharing that truth in love. Paul also makes himself a servant to every man's conscience. He doesn't want to stumble others. So he's aware of not only his own conscience, but the conscience of others. Verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. There's some that don't see the gospel. They look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ and don't see Christ as loving, kind, or good and rejecting Christ. And the reason is because their eyes are veiled to the gospel. And Satan's behind this in verse 4. Who minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age is Satan. Satan is at work in the hearts and the minds of people to blind them, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. Please remember the battle is spiritual. The battle is spiritual, and the tip of the spear of this battle is what people believe about Jesus Christ. Do they believe he's God? Do they believe that they need him to die for their sins? Do they trust that he's good, that, that he's kind? And Satan wants to come and he wants to bring those lies and to blind them from the gospel. Verse five for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bond of Jesus Christ. Why would we preach ourselves when we could preach Christ? We know ourselves. We know we're sinful. Paul knows himself. He says, I I don't want to preach myself. I want to preach Christ. And so he was determined to preach Christ. He was determined to preach the gospel. He saw himself as a bondservant, a slave by choice. For Jesus' sake, he's he's serving Christ. Verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Bible begins with the gospel? The Bible begins with a picture of the gospel, and that's what Paul is speaking to here. I want to read Genesis chapter 1 to you and just take it in and listen and think of this in terms of Jesus being the light of the world and shining his love into our darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So evening and the morning were the first day. Creation. When God spoke things into existence, the earth was without form. It was without void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. It sounds like our lives before Christ, doesn't it? And God spoke, Let there be light. And boom, there was light. God divides the light and the darkness to provide night and day. Every sunrise. Reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world and he lights up our darkness. Paul uses this imagery of creation to speak of the knowledge of Christ coming into our lives. Notice the end of verse 6. Focus there. It says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we look at this ministry of reflection, we see God's glory, the chief expression of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We talked about Moses having the greatest prayer in the Bible, please show me your glory. And as we pray that in our lives, God, show me your glory, what's a practical step that we can take is look at Jesus in the Gospels. Say, so I'm going to read the Gospels carefully, I'm going to read them slowly because I want to see the glory of God revealed in God's Son, Jesus Christ. The glory of God's revealed in the face of Jesus Christ to the point where Hebrews tells us the express image of the Father is Jesus. Jesus says, if you have beheld me, you have beheld the Father. It's amazing to me in talking with people, and even unbelievers, usually there's a a great interest in Jesus. People tend to not have as much difficulty with Jesus, but they see the Father as this vengeful, angry God of justice that they don't want anything to do with. But the reality is, is if you appreciate Jesus revealed in the Gospels, Jesus is representing the Father. So you should appreciate the Father as well. So behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul prayed for the churches that he served, that they would have a deeper knowledge of of who Jesus is. So we're encouraged we don't lose heart this morning because we've received the ministry of reflection. No matter what, we can wake up each day say I want to behold the glory of God. I want to understand more of who the Father is revealed through through Christ. The second reason we don't lose heart is because we have the treasure of Christ. And again, notice these two words, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have. This has been given to us. So in light of the context, what's the treasure? The treasure is Christ in our hearts. The treasure is the knowledge of Christ in these earthen vessels. And once again, no trial, no difficulty can take away Christ who's alive and well in your hearts. Earthen vessels means jars of clay. Some translations translate it as such God has put his treasure in jars of clay. When you look at a picture frame, the whole purpose of the frame is to point to the painting, to point to the picture. If the frame is more ornate or glorious than the picture, it's not right. In the same way, we're simply earthen vessels. We're simply jars of clay that we point to the greatness of Jesus. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. Have you ever looked at a husband and wife and gone, what in the world is she doing with him? Like, it just doesn't seem to fit, right? Or vice versa, where you go, man, what is he doing with with her? Well, how much more so for the angels who know Christ and his glory, God, the creator of the universe, watch Jesus be born as an infant in Bethlehem, be rejected, die upon the cross, rise again. The angels know us, the angels know me, and go, what in the world is Jesus living in that earthen vessel? What is Jesus doing inside of air Cartier? This blows my mind, right? Only the grace of God, only the, the goodness of God. This treasure has been placed inside of us, inside of these earthen vessels. What does this mean practically for us? The excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure of Christ is power over weakness, where his power is sufficient in our weakness. To where people know it's not us, it is the Lord. Weakness provides the opportunity for God's power to shine forth in a dynamic and clear way. Judges chapter seven illustrates this. God calls Gideon to lead the children of Israel against the Midianites. And Gideon's afraid he's not who you would likely choose to be a leader, but it's who God chooses to show his power over weakness. We get to chapter 7, and Gideon is able to rally 22,000 men to go fight against the Midianites. Now, that sounds pretty good, 22,000 soldiers. The only problem is the Midianites, their army was so large that you couldn't even number it. You couldn't number how many soldiers that they had. They were like locusts. God speaks to Gideon and says, you know what, your army's too big. What? My, my army's too big. We're already grossly outnumbered. God says, I want you to speak to the soldiers and tell them, any of you that are afraid, you can go home. You have permission to, to leave and not go into to the battle. Gideon was probably thinking a few hundred. 12,000 walk off. There's only 10,000 left. Gideon's going, okay, I, I guess the, the army's small enough now. The Lord's like, Nope. Have all the guys get a drink of water out of the creek, out of the river. Only 300 men got water out of their hand. The rest just put their face in and, and drink quickly in the most efficiently way possible. And God says, those 300, those are the ones that I want to, to go to battle. The reason, God gives us a reason that he was reducing the army of Israel because if they had 22,000, they would take credit for it instead of giving glory to God for the victory. Apparently, if they had 10,000, they would take credit for it instead of giving glory to God. But if there was only 300, they knew that God was the one that gave the victory. and God wanted his power to be seen over their their weakness. God will do that in our lives sometimes. He will reduce us down to where... We can't trust in our own strength and we can't trust in our own power. So Gideon goes on into this battle and he sneaks down, does a spy mission and here's the general who had a dream that Gideon was coming to attack him and that was confirmation that God was giving the victory. So Gideon says, all right guys, I want each of you to take a jar of clay, an earthen vessel, put a fire inside of it, spread out, blow your trumpet, and break your earthen vessel. The Midianites thought the army was a lot bigger than they really were, and turned in fear, and God won the victory. And that's a picture of us, guys, that earthen vessel, with the treasure of Christ inside of us, and many times God will break us, he'll allow weakness in our lives, so the message of Christ can go out. We know it, other people around us know it, they go, that's the Lord because that's an earthen vessel. God's showing his power over weakness. What can discourage us is weakness. I don't know about you, but I do not like trying on weakness for size. It's not comfortable. I, I like it when things are running smooth, but Paul understood that weakness caused him to depend upon the Lord, so he said, I would rather be weak I'll boast in my weakness. I'll accept this weakness so the power of Christ may may rest upon me. So, the treasure of Christ means that the excellency of power is of God and not of us. Then it's encouragement over discouragement. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Ever felt that way? Hard pressed on every side? I can't get a break. Everywhere I turn, there's another difficulty. There's another challenge. And Paul says, man, we're hard-pressed, but yet we're not crushed. And this shows the power of Christ inside of us. That the power of Christ inside of us is stronger than the opposition that's coming against us. Look back on a period of time in your life and you go, I should have been destroyed. I should have been absolutely wiped out, but somehow God sustained me. Yes, I was hard-pressed on every side, but I wasn't destroyed. I wasn't crushed. And that's testimony to the power of Christ. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. The word perplexed is completely baffled, very puzzled. As we try to examine God's work in our lives, sometimes we're baffled, sometimes we're puzzled, sometimes we have more questions than, than answers. Paul says, I'm perplexed. We don't know exactly the difficulties that he's referring to. He does refer to the challenges in Asia a lot through, through this letter. But Paul's trying to figure out what God is doing in his life. And he says, I'm perplexed. The great apostle Paul was perplexed. And that brings us comfort, doesn't it? Because we get perplexed as we try to examine God's work in our lives. Who knows the mind of God? Who really knows what God is up to? Who's been God's counselor? Well, we've sure tried. God would be great if it went this way or that way. But God doesn't take counsel of us, thankfully, right? And many throughout scripture were perplexed. We think of Habakkuk, the prophet, where God says, I'm going to judge Israel through a pagan nation, and this did not sit well with Habakkuk, and he wrestled, and he was perplexed. Job and his losses of his children dying of his health and his possessions, he was perplexed. Jeremiah the prophet, as he served faithfully, not seeing any respond to his message, he was perplexed and felt like giving up. In Psalms 73, the psalmist was perplexed by the prosperity of the wicked. Has that ever bothered you? The psalmist is like, I'm loving and serving the Lord, but the wicked seem to prosper. The wicked seem to get a raise. The the wicked seem to have a, a smooth life. And there in Psalms 73, we have an indicator of how we can be perplexed, but not in despair. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Psalm 73 His perspective changed as he went and spent time with the Lord, and that's true of Job. As Job met with the Lord, God gave him a different perspective. As Habakkuk went and wrestled with the Lord, God spoke to Habakkuk and said, the just shall live by faith. Jeremiah was encouraged in the book of Lamentations when he called this to mind, the mercies of God. There was a a change of, of perspective. And this has largely to do with our encouragement. For me, it's always a process. It's always a process. In those trials of life, those those crushing blows of life, those surprises, where all of a sudden it feels like the floor just falls out from underneath you. I wish that it was just momentary, you know, and it was fine. But it's always a process that involves spending time with the Lord, asking questions of the Lord, wrestling, like the psalmist in 73, coming into the the sanctuary of God, and God in his grace over time to provide encouragement, to provide comfort, to provide strength to be able to sustain. But it's never been immediate. I'm sure there was a lot of struggle from Paul between perplexed, but not in despair, (laughs) as he waited on the Lord. Also for me, and it's probably different for each and every one of us, what's also really helped in those really difficult seasons of being perplexed is God using brothers and sisters in Christ, God using other believers to encourage me, to pray for me, to sometimes share a book with me, to to read, but my flesh wants to isolate in those difficult times. I don't want to be around people when I'm really getting my can kicked, right? Those are the times where I think about, you know, moving up in the mountains into a really small cabin that doesn't seem to work out too well for the family. Hey, Amber and kids, we're just going to go isolate up in the mountains forever for the rest of our lives. That's what we're going to do. That's what my flesh wants to do. But I know that I need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Despair is the complete absence or loss of hope. That's where the enemy wants us. The enemy wants us to lose heart, to give up. I'm done trying. I'm not going to press into my relationship with God. I'm not going to press into loving others. I'm simply going to give up. If you find yourself in that place of despair, in that place of of giving up, God wants to meet you. God wants to provide that encouragement. The treasure of Jesus lives inside of you. He wants to provide that necessary encouragement so that we're not overcome with despair. It's encouragement over discouragement. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul understood that the Christian life would mean resistance, that the Christian life would mean persecution. But he also understood he's never going to be forsaken. Jesus is gonna be with him. Jesus is gonna be faithful to that promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The world can come against us. The world can come against our faith, ridicule, even provide persecution, but the world can never take Jesus from you. The most that, A Christ-rejecting world can do is take our lives, which will result in eternal life, which will result with going home to be with the Lord. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. The last thing that the treasure of Christ provides in our lives is life over death. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Paul says, I'm always carrying around the body of Jesus. Now, does this mean that he's literally carrying around the corpse of Christ? No, but in his mental perspective, in his, his attitude, in his dedication to Christ, he's identifying with the death of Jesus. He's identifying with the love of Jesus that compelled Christ to, to go to the cross, and he's saying, I'm willing to suffer. Paul had even reminders in his physical body of the suffering of Christ. Paul was stoned to the point where they thought that he was dead. I kind of got your attention when I said Paul was stoned. I saw some of you like like real rocks. They, they they hit him with real rocks there. I'm sure that he carried around suffering in his body. You don't get stoned to the point of death without having that affect your body. He was beaten multiple times with scars on his body that would remind him of what Christ did for him. This is the motivating truth for Paul when it came to suffering, that suffering resulted in Christ being manifest in his body. As we look for encouragement in discouragement, a lot of times there's a loss that provides that discouragement. There's a loss of job, a loss of health, a loss of relationship, a loss of of expectation. There's a death figuratively or, or literally the death of a loved one, and to trust that that death, that suffering doesn't have the final word, but God is going to use the suffering. He's going to use the difficulty so that the life of Christ could be manifest. We don't see things from God's perspective. We know that God's ultimately in control. God has allowed the world to suffer in 2020 through the coronavirus, right? Right? But how many more people have come to know Christ as their Savior in 2020 than 2019? I don't know. I'm not God. I I can't tell you that. God, God knows that. No person really could fully answer that question. But I got a hunch that there's probably more people that have come to know their Christ globally in 2020 than in 2019. I do know this that God is big enough in his redemption to take death and bring life. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. So our attitude towards suffering is not one going, I don't enjoy this, I wouldn't sign up for this, but I know that God is using this death in my life so that the life of Christ could be manifest in my body. Now, how many times has our body done something that's sinful, but now this suffering is allowing me to be a testimony of who Christ is in, in my body? In verse 11 for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh so then death is working in us but life in you in other portions of Paul's writings philippians romans paul shares that he knows that suffering is benefiting him personally as well it's building his character it's helping him to know Jesus in another way But here he's focusing on, I know that I'm gonna go through suffering so that it's gonna result in spiritual life in you. For us to be able to say, I'm willing to suffer so unbelievers can be reached and believers can be encouraged. And that's hard for us to swallow because in American culture, it's all about me. (laughs) It's all about my comfort, it's all about my happiness. And I want the word of God to fit into that worldview, But the word of God is Jesus suffered. We get to follow in his footsteps. So sometimes God will deliver us to death. He'll he'll deliver us unto hardship. We're not outside of the will of God. We're exactly where God wants us. He's giving us the opportunity to be able to suffer because he's going to use that suffering to reach an unbeliever. He's going to use that suffering to encourage a believer. How many times have you really been encouraged by watching another believer go through a difficult time and Jesus is manifested through their suffering? And you're like, man, I I have a heart of compassion for them. I'm so broken for what they're going through, but I'm able to observe Jesus in a very powerful way through the suffering that they're going through. I grew up in a church called Applegate Christian Fellowship. If you get, get a chance, Google it. My, my pastor growing up, his name's John Corson, and he just recently handed over the church to his youngest son. But he had lost his wife in a car accident, and years later, lost his daughter Jessie in a car accident, 16. She was a close friend of mine. We went, went to high school together. And then two years ago this February, his son, his early 40s, died of cancer. It's a, it's a lot of suffering. Your wife, your daughter, a son. I was at the memorial service for his daughter years ago. I was able to go to the memorial service of his son, Peter John. And there was a unique pain in both of those losses. There was a unique pain in burying a daughter, and there was a unique pain in burying his son. I wasn't around when his first wife passed away, but I know there's a unique pain in that as well. But if you spend time to listen to his teaching, there's something unique about his teaching. There's something unique about who he is, and the life of Christ is being manifest through him in a a very powerful way, and you got to know it's directly related to all the suffering that he's gone through. The body Christ is stronger. Many unbelievers have come to know Christ As their Savior through his testimony. When I was growing up in Southern Oregon, the church is about 30 miles outside of town. It doesn't make any sense for a church to be that far out of town. People would drive on this two-lane road to get out to church. Thousands of people coming to the church. And every Sunday, out in the amphitheater, church was outside in an amphitheater, the gospel would be proclaimed, and you could get baptized right when you receive Christ as your Savior. No new believers class, just you've trusted Christ for salvation, you're ready to be baptized, and every Sunday there would be 50 to 100 to 200 people getting saved and baptized every Sunday. I was used to that, as weird as that sounds, as a kid growing up in in this church. The life of Christ was, was manifest through Pastor John's suffering. You got to know this, church, in your life. You got to believe this in your life. God is allowing suffering. He's allowing death of loved ones. He's allowing the loss of job. He's allowing health challenges for the purpose of Christ to be manifest in our lives. Our response to this is faith, and that's what we see 13 through 15. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul's looking forward to the resurrection when he thinks of life over death. As Christ was raised, we're going to be raised. Church of Corinth, you're going to be raised unto eternal life. Church here at Austin Bluffs and Academy, Rocky Mountain Calvary, you're going to be raised up into eternal life. This life is not going to have the final word. Because of that, we believe and therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. Quoting Psalms 116. Now, first let me tell you, that this is not some kind of weird theology that you get to name and claim whatever you want. You want a million dollars? Believe it, and in Jesus' name, you're going to receive it. Did you read about the guy this week that had the winning lottery ticket and he turned it in three days late? No money. How frustrating would that be? You've got the winning ticket, but you turned it in three days late. So don't think that I'm going to believe, therefore I'm going to speak, and this means I'm going to be wealthy and wise and never have any difficulties in my life. It's clear we're going to have difficulties. We're going to be hard-pressed. This is our response to those trials where we get to respond in faith. However this turns out, I'm trusting the Lord because I know the character of my father. He's good. He's given his son to die for me. Please hear this. You cannot control the suffering that you're going to go through in life, but you can control how you respond. And choosing to respond in faith will affect your attitude towards that trial. It will affect your attitude towards that trial. We don't always feel like believing. Faith is not dominated by our emotions. We wouldn't give such an important decision over to our emotions. We can choose to to believe based upon the promises of God, the character of God. God, I'm choosing to trust you, and from that place of faith, then I'm going to speak. From that place of trust, I'm going to speak. I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. So how do we respond to this? Not losing heart. What keeps us from losing heart? Well, we've received the ministry of reflection. No matter what happens, as you wake up Monday morning, Lord willing, you've got the ministry of reflection. You get to behold the glory of God. We get to learn more about Jesus. Nothing in this world can take that from us. So we press in to that. We've received the treasure of Christ inside of us. Nothing can take us Take that away from us. It's power over weakness. Encouragement over discouragement. Life over death. And press into Christ, that treasure in these earthen vessels. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, Eric? My heart's doing good. I'm not losing heart. Praise the Lord. Keep it up. Keep beholding God's glory. Keep enjoying the treasure. You're a steward of your heart. Some of you might say man my heart's right on the fence. Some days I'm encouraged, some days I'm discouraged. Welcome to the human experience. Welcome to the reality of what we we all all face. Behold the glory of God, enjoy the treasure. In those good days, enjoy the treasure of Christ. In those difficult days, enjoy the treasure of Christ. But yet for some, you're like, man, I, I'm crushed. I'm discouraged. I feel in a very acute way this, this despair inside of me. May I encourage you to continue to run in to spending time with the Father. Don't give up on the process. Wrestle, ask those hard questions, pour out your heart to the Lord, come into his sanctuary, keep reading the word of God even when you don't feel like it. And trust that God's going to bring comfort, that he's going to bring encouragement in time. Come and receive prayer. In just a moment, as we sing this last song, we give opportunity for prayer because we believe in the power of prayer. Come and receive prayer. For those of you that are worshiping with us online, respond to the, the chats and the comments. Say, I'd like to receive prayer. Some of you are sitting next to someone that you know Well, Turn to them and say, hey, would you pray with me? I'd be really surprised if they tell you no. They're like, sorry. Sorry you're discouraged, but I'm just not praying with you. I'm, I don't feel comfortable, right? My, my guess is they're going to pray for you. Maybe you go out to your car and you're close with a believer. Call them, text them, say, I really need prayer. And those are the hardest calls to make. It's hard to come down here and receive prayer. God meets us in that place of of brokenness and humility. Church, what if we applied this this week? What if we did something with this this week? What if we said, you know, I'm not going to lose heart. No matter what the elections, however that goes down, I'm not going to lose heart. There's going to be a lot of people disappointed one way or the other. Okay? Okay. And to be able to say, I can choose to have encouragement in the Lord no matter what those results are. Now, don't get me wrong. The election's really important. I hope that you're voting. I hope that you're voting the scriptures. I'm concerned and I'm praying. But come about Wednesday or Thursday or Friday when all these votes get counted, I'm still responsible for my own heart. Amen? And you're responsible for, for your own heart. COVID restrictions upon El Paso County... It's going to be easy for there to be a lot of then you put the election on top of that right? remember Paul's dealing with difficulty he's dealing with the Roman government he's he's dealing with Nero and he could have gone through his days going Nero Roman government man I'm I'm in prison they just keep beating me up but instead he said I'm not going to lose heart Because I get to behold the glory of God. I get to draw near to God. I've got the treasure of Christ inside of me. This is an opportunity. This week is an opportunity to be a light to unbelievers. They look look at us and go, man, there's something different about you. Everyone else is losing heart, but you have something I don't have. You have a joy in the Lord. So let's press into that truth together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we get to behold your glory, that every day there's the opportunity to behold your glory, that you've saved us, you've forgiven us, that you've even given us the capacity to reflect your glory. Would you be gracious and kind to show us your glory in a greater way through the person of Jesus? This treasure in earthen vessels Jesus, we thank you that you do live inside of us. We ask that you would give us your power over our weakness, that you would give us encouragement over our discouragement. And we choose in faith to believe that you're bringing life where there's been death, where there's been death in relationship, death of a loved one, loss of health, loss of a job, that you're bringing life and redemption to those situations. Lord, would you help us? This is a pivotal week in our country. We pray for your wisdom and your guidance and your intervention. We want to be under your authority and your your covering. However things go down, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to not be discouraged but be encouraged. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.